I think for this one, I'm going to call it Faith No Mr. Bungle. <laughs> no Mr. Bungle. Faith No Mr. Bungle. <laughs> Don't touch my bungle. Or I could do like Faith No Moonchild. I don't know if nice. Moonchild came up in any of your research, but that's roughly associated with the Litany 4 song. Is Moonchild? I didn't even catch that. Well, it's, it's very complicated. John Zorn is kind of the name that that album's under, but there's this this trio in it called... Collective. I'll get into it. It's okay, called the Moonchild nice. Trio, but I think I'm going to go with Faith No Mr. Bungle. Nice. For this Mike Patton special. Welcome to the Mike Patton special. Come on down. Come on down. Get your Mike Pattons for cheap. How many Mike Patton? It should be a competition. How many Mike Patton noises can you and I make throughout the process of this? Oh, boy. (laughs) 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 Yeah, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, every noise we make is pretty much Mike Patton. Yeah. (laughs) Any audible noise that a human could make and some ones that humans can't make. All right. Welcome and to our Mike Patton special episode 24.5 of Shuffle. Please make sure you listen to our Mike Patton playlist that we will be discussing in this episode. Links to a Spotify and YouTube playlist can be found in this episode's description. So Dominic, before all of this, kind of what was what was your take on Mike Patton? What what was your your what did you think of him? What did you know about him? What's your... Before I met you. I mean, I'm, well, before I met you, sure. nothing. Yeah, nothing. Before I met you, the only thing I would have known, I would have said, who's Mike Patton? And then I would have Googled it, and I would have heard Epic. You And I would have been like, that guy, come on. Yeah. Which now I do appreciate that song more, but growing up, it was like on the Isle of the 90s, where it's just like that ridiculous yeah. song that has the goldfish. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that was that all I knew. Fish. But then... As I think like Frank Zappa and like Captain Beefheart and stuff like that primed me to then appreciate the deep cuts of Mike Patton, like Disco Volante, which is now probably one of my favorite albums I've discovered in the last couple of years. So Mr. Bungle, I like. And but then beyond that, it's just a ton of stuff that I like hear bits of. And so Probably I know much more than the average person because he's a little niche. He is, but I yeah. don't know anything compared to the diehards. I think like <laughs> simply, simply knowing Mike Patton's name yeah. makes you kind of like at least like a base level expert of yeah. some sort. Yeah, but I'm sure he's got a hardcore. Well, it's it's just crazy because yeah. the amount of pies he has fingers in, yeah. you'd think that he'd be somewhat. A little like I, I think he actively tries not to be in the mainstream. I think he does. I because every interview I've ever seen with him, he like in every award I like watch clips, like the great clips of Mike Patton. And it everything is like purposefully trying to be as alienating as possible. Did you did you see that video where he's like he's in the middle of like being interviewed at a festival and like Wolf Mothers yeah, playing in the background? So he's like do you hear this shit? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, Wolf Mother, but you suck. He's like, throw me an amen, am I right? Come on. These are what <laughs> year is this? <laughs> I love how he doesn't even elaborate. He's just like, this is so obviously terrible. <laughs> Which I like, Wolf Mother, but 
they are trying i assume his critique is like they're trying I, to sound like they're from the 70s i think his critique of wolf mother is similar to your critique of jet yeah where that's they're what I like too. trying to profit off of music that's been around yep. for 40 years yeah without adding anything to it which you could never accuse mike Patton of. <laughs> no never accuse you him. really well there yeah it may be i'll get into it later but he does have an album of 1940s and 50s Italian pop song covers. True, but but, but is there still, a big market for that. <laughs> yeah, he's just ripping it off, and getting all that 1940s Italian pop hit money. If it, him and Michael Bublé are, I would love to see him and Michael Bublé do a like. Well, because sing off. Mike, he can croon. Yeah, he, he can, can definitely yeah. croon it up. Yeah, and he can do a lot more than Michael Bublé can do. Yeah. He's got a new NBC special coming out. Oh, every fucking Christmas. <laughs> My mom. No offense, mom. Dude, we should but She pitch. loves, like, the Michael Buble Christmas specials. He's nice. He's a nice guy. He's a nice kid. Come on. He's a nice guy. My mom really likes it when him, him and Elmo sing together. It's so cute. <laughs> oh, my God. But we should honestly pitch to Adult Swim a Michael Patone Christmas special. Oh man, <laughs> dude, that'd be so great. <laughs> He's just like, like, and like we wish you. <laughs> I feel like Eric Andre should be involved in some yes, capacity yeah, yeah. too. Directed by Eric Andre. Tim and Eric can be there, and seriously, oh. man. And MF Doom, MF Doom does a lot of stuff with adults. So I'm, actually, MF Doom's had Christmas specials. Really? With you know the dude the yeah. I, who has the metal mask on. Yeah. Yeah, he, like, it's not so much like the traditional Christmas special with, like, singers, but they'll have, like, these nights where, like, he kind of, like, curates the shows that are playing, and he, like, talks in between all of the shows and stuff, yeah. and yeah. sits there with his mask on and a Santa hat. <laughs> well, because he, awesome. he did a whole album with Danger Mouse that was all Adult Swim themed. Mm. It's called Adult Swim Presents Danger Doom. I think I remember that. Yeah, and like yeah. on all the tracks, there's like like Brack is on it and Space Ghost and the whole Aqua Teen Hunger Force crew, like all of the adult in C Lab 2021, and all yeah. the songs are about Adult Swim shows. It's See? a really good album, actually. So there's a precedent. Come on, Mike yeah. Patton. You could be next. I would love that. I would love that. All right. So who the fuck is Mike Patton? He's a very good-looking man. Let me be the first to say. He's got like a nice, nice goatee, slick yeah. back hair, no tattoos or piercings. Yeah, he kind of has a David Beckham. He could look like David Beckham yeah. if he tried, sort of. Yeah. So Michael Allen, <laughs> Michael Allen Patton is an American musician, singer, songwriter, actor, record producer, multi instrumentalist, and film composer. An all around nut job. Yes, and nice guy. And all around nice guy. Nice nut job. And a family man. Yeah. And he loves the beach. And he loves to sail. Right? We can edit this part out if it's getting to be no, too keep, personal. Keep Mike. going. Well, keep telling us about Mike. He's Pat. an equestrian. Not an equestrian, but an equestrian. A yawn. Yeah, exactly. Um, loves to travel, but can only speak English. That's something a lot of people don't know. Um, loves the beach, but he doesn't tan. Loves to wash people getting haircuts, but doesn't get a haircut. I could go on. If you cut him, his blood is blue. He does drugs, but he could never be accused of tripping out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> to 
fact check a couple of things Dominic what? said. <laughs> He's actually fluent in Italian. Yeah, I figured. And according to all of his bandmates, the only drug he ever does is caffeine. Is that right? Supposedly. Wow. I've n- all the videos I've seen him even acting crazy, he does seem sober, I'll admit. Like there's drug induced crazy, mm-hmm. which we've like, seen. I don't I didn't I don't know anything about him, but I don't think he drinks even. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know. He looks like he's in shape too. Yeah. 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 Pretty good shape. Him and Zappa, Frank Zappa never did drugs. No one in the band could do drugs. Is that one of Zappa's rules? Yeah, that was one of the rules, yeah. You just had to wear pigtails. Just had to wear pigtails. Yeah. <laughs> no drugs, pigtails. Those are my and two rules. do everything roles. I tell you to. Uh, so he's from Eureka, California, born in 1968, and he is known for his eclectic influences and experimental projects. Hatton has earned critical praise for his diverse array of vocal techniques. Uh, I think we talked about this quite a few episodes ago, but the VVN Music Foundation uh, found that Patton possesses the highest vocal range of any known singer in popular music. Wow. With a range of six octaves. Yeah. Now, to like put that in context, I think like the operatic person to hold the, the highest vocal range is a 10 octave range. Yeah. But that is someone who's been like training since they were a child. Yeah. So this is a guy who probably does horrible things to his voice voice on a regular basis and he still has a six octave range yeah uh Patton's vocal span from crooning to falsetto singing to screaming to opera to death growls to rapping to beatboxing to scatting and pretty much any sort of screamer noise that you could possibly imagine (laughs) he can probably do it shriek squeak got it yeah uh he's best known as being the lead singer of the alternative metal band faith no more but he's also a founding member of the band uh, mr bungle tomahawk phantomas lovage he was briefly the lead singer of the dillinger escape plan he has another group Mm. called peeping tom he's in the moonchild trio a band called hemophiliac he also is in a group called kata Patton. yeah i listened to a little bit of that yeah it's like almost like just instrumental it almost sounded like i don't know yeah, yeah. I, I don't know a ton about the cata patent except i know it's a collaboration with john cata yeah uh he's also has many like producing and co-producing credits with artists such as john zorn sepultra melvins and bjork wow he played a huge role on her medulia album huh. doing huh. some beatboxing and vocals i didn't know that wow Yep. busy guy yeah, and I I know there was some sort of friendship or relationship between Bjork back when she was in the Sugar Cubes with really? Mr. Bungle. Wow. And actually wow. going back to that infamous uh, goldfish or fish from the the epic music video, yeah. there's a Bjork story associated with that as uh, well. Because she's a huge animal rights. I'll get right? into it. Well, okay, we'll get into Damn, Mike Patton, the busiest guy you've never heard of. Damn. That's actually probably a really good Damn. way to, to put it. Because <laughs> his Wikipedia, when I went to his Wikipedia page, it was like a separate list of like discography. You had to go to a separate discography yep. just to like read about the different groups he's been in. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, and if you loyal Shuffler listeners remember, Patton was on an episode of Shuffle for his group Phantomas when he did a cover of the Rosemary's Baby yeah. theme. Yeah. So that Which was, was his, both our favorite yes. track of that week, I think. Yeah, and that was right before Halloween, too, I yeah. remember, so it was spooky. Yeah. 
Spooky. Yeah. So his first band, Mr. Bungle, formed in 1984 while he and his two friends, Trey Spirance and Trevor Dunn, were in high school still. Other than four cassette demos, the first official Mr. Bungle release actually wouldn't come out until after Patton joined Faith No More. Hmm. Uh, Patton joined Faith No More in 1989, replacing Chuck Mosley, the band at that time's lead vocalist. He then went on to front Bad Brains for a while, actually. Oh, wow. And then he quit that and joined, started his own funk metal band called Cement. Um, it was actually his mainstream success with Faith No More that allowed Mr. Bungle to secure a record deal with Warner Brothers, and then that band went on to release three albums before eventually breaking up. Mm. During the mid-90s, he began to collaborate with the avant-garde composer and saxophonist John Zorn, forming the group's Hemophiliac and joining John Zorn's Moonchild Trio. And then in the late 90s is when he formed the alt-metal group Tomahawk, with the former with former the Jesus Lizard guitarist Dwayne Denson and he also formed the avant-garde metal group Phantomas with members of Mr. Bungle, Melvins and Slayer. So then other than all of the bands he's in, he is uh, and he actually has another group with Dan the Automator called Lovage which uh, they put out one album and it's called like songs to make love to your old, old lady by <laughs> and it's supposed to be just like sexy love songs with dan the automator and nice mike Patton. <laughs> and as well as being in all those bands he is also a film composer and he's actually even starred in a film as well hmm. uh, he co-starred alongside karen black in the 2005 independent thriller called firecracker karen black of like the pixies no no, yeah, she's like totally mixed up. No, that's not even her name. Well, f- that's Frank, Frank Black, Black, and I know he was married to one of the members of the Pixies for a while. I'm probably getting. It I don't know. No, I don't know no. a ton about Pixies. No, but no, actually, she was like a, she was an actress from like the 60s and 70s. Oh, and she okay, made this okay. was like her big comeback was in this film Firecracker. Wow, and it actually looks like a pretty interesting movie. I'll post a trailer to it yeah. on our website. It's an interesting movie in that. All the actors in the movie play two roles. And also there's like there's this narrator of the whole film who quote unquote has his finger on the pulse of the movie where he can like affect the story. <laughs> and you know there's like certain parts where like it's all black and white and then color slowly starts to come into it. Yeah. And it's it's all about a murder and I know Mike Patton plays like some sociopath and it sounds like wow. the perfect role for him. That sounds in yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll post a trailer for that. I'd like to see it sometime. It's called Firecracker. And he composed uh, he did the film score for four movies which for some reason I didn't write down what they were. Uh, one of them Place Beyond the Pines. Place Beyond That's the Pines. Yeah, one I recognize. He did one um the Crank High Voltage. Oh really? He did the soundtrack for that. <laughs> Uh, the last song on our playlist, the A Perfect Place, he did that one. And then okay. there's a th- uh, another one that's called, like, The Simplicity of Prime Numbers. It, it's some, like, independent yeah. film or something. Hmm. And he's really good at doing zombie voices. <laughs> yeah. He provided all of the creature voices for the movie I Am Legend. That's awesome. <laughs> and he also did all the zombie voices in the video games Left for Dead and The Last of Us. Wow. And then he actually also provided his vocal talents to the Adult Swim show Metalocalypse. That makes a lot of sense. 
and he was also in the video games Portal and the Darkness. Portal? Yeah. Uh. He has a small role in Portal, Uh. (laughs) and he's actually... He plays the darkness in the video game, the darkness, both nice. the first and second game. Nice. And I'll, I, I found little videos showing off his voice in those that I'll post on our nice. website in case you guys are interested. Uh, he also has his own record label that he founded with his friend uh, Greg Reckman called Epicac Recordings. <laughs> it's an independent record label based in California, and their slogan is Epicac Recordings, making people sick since 1999, <laughs> since Epicac syrup is to known you, to make yeah. you throw up. <laughs> nice. And a little interesting fact, all of Neil Hamburger's comic comedy album releases are on Epicac Records. Really? Nice. Yes. Okay, so I've consumed Epicac and yeah. I don't even know him. And nice. there's also I might be getting this wrong. I'll, Actually, because yeah, because Neil Hamburger. This is maybe in this way is off my boy. I was gonna talk about. Yeah, because he is actually kind of a prominent figure in like early, like late '80s, early '90s punk scene. He was like bassist or something in several bands, and I think somehow, yeah, he was associated with even Mr. Bungle. At least, so like, when like Mr. Pro- Bungle broke up, there was another band that came out of it whose name I cannot think of right now. The the number three is involved with it. And it, it has this, it's one, it's like kind of like the, it's, it's like the pet project of one of the members. And he has this huge rotating cast of people who collaborate with him on it. And yeah. Neil Hamburger has done stuff with that band. No, and that okay. band was essentially Mr. Bungle minus Mike Patton. Okay. Okay, okay. This is going to bug me now yeah, what well, their name is. Here. Greg Turkington. Yeah, from, here, I'll, I'll yeah. cut this out right now because it's... Leave it, it's raw. Leave, leave it in. This is the, the blood, re- sweat, the real cheers. Shit. I just don't want to be called a phony. Secret Chiefs 3. Oh, That's the name of the group. Okay. Secret, Secret Chiefs, Chiefs 3, which was founded by one of the Mr. Bungle founding members, Trey Spearance. So that's his project. And actually Mike Patton ended up doing some stuff with them too, but there's like a huge never-ending list of collaborators. And I remember looking yeah. through it and I saw, yeah, Greg Turkington. He did vocals for the band at one point okay, in time. Okay, nice. That's so it. Neil Hamburger's in that camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So some fun facts about him. Uh, Mike Patton's right hand is permanently numb what? from an onstage incident. An onstage incident. Now I found conflicting facts about this. One part of the research I did said it was from their his third ever concert with Faith No More, and I found another bit of research that said it was from his second show ever. But either way, someone threw a bottle on stage and it broke. And he slipped and fell on it and severed some tendons in his hand and nerves. And he has since then lost, like his hand is perfectly fine and healing his full use of it, except it is completely numb. He cannot feel anything in his right hand. Holy shit. I guess you get used to that after a while. And like I said, he is uh, uh, fluent in Italian. Wow. Um, His ex-wife and him lived in... I always say this wrong. It's not Bologna, Italy, but Bel. Uh, however you pronounce it, yeah, Bologna. Bologna. Yeah, Bologna. He lived. He had a house there in Italy. No Bologna. And Bologna and, in Bologna, Italy. <laughs> and actually, his uh, these Italian connections keep 
playing vital roles in his career, mm-hmm. as we will go on to speak about. Uh, music critic Greg Prado has said, quote, Patton could very well be one of the most versatile and talented singers in rock music. And then his colleague, Blake Butler, called him, quote, a complete and utter musical visionary and a mind-blowing and standard-warping genius, end quote. <laughs> in consequence of sound has acknowledged him as the greatest singer of all time. Nice. To date, he has recorded 32 studio albums, one EP, two live albums, 15 video albums, composed four soundtracks, and has made more than 60 other appearances for other people's music wow. in some capacity. Wow. Have you heard it all? Every single one. <laughs> yes. I was listening to Every it all in prep for this. Twice. I made a huge playlist of it, and I've been nice. listening to it for years. Yeah. Wow. No, I haven't even like wow. hit like started to chip away at his discography. Has he even heard it all? I'm sure he hasn't. <laughs> he probably hasn't heard a half of it. <laughs> so with that, I think we can hop on to our first track, Epic by Faith No More. You want it all, you can grasp it. What's it? It is it. I might be the single most versatile singer on this podcast. <laughs> Although, I don't know, maybe 50-50 chance. Yeah, it's a 50-50 chance. What's you want it all, but you can't help it. All right, that's good. The viewers will have to vote. Who's the most versatile? Yeah. Tweet us. <laughs> yeah, tweet us. We're drawing a line in the sand, listeners. It, what is it? It's it. What, what is, is it? Ooh, hey, we should yeah. <laughs> take this show Maybe on the we road. should start a Faith No More cover <laughs> band and only do epic. Yeah, yeah we just do duet of epic. <laughs> it. What is it? Yeah, acapella duet of epic. <laughs> and we in just make it last all night. Yeah. The most convoluted touring act. I wouldn't go to that show. <laughs> All right, so uh, Epic off of the 1989 album, The Real Thing. Faith No More is an American alternative metal band from San Francisco, California, who formed in 1979. Night, really? 1979? Yeah. They had actually put out two albums prior to Patton joining the band. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm ignorant. Uh, yeah. The band originally formed and they were known as Sharp Young Men by bassist Billy Gold, drummer Mike Borden, and keyboardist Wade Worthington, Mm -hmm. and vocalist Mike Morris. Morris described the name as, quote, a piss take on all of the elegant 80 groups' names at the time, end quote. (laughs) Nice. Later on, Morris proposed that the band change their name to Faith in No Man, but eventually the band settled on Borden's suggestion of Faith period No Man. Hmm. So that was their name for a while. Then eventually Gold, Borden, and their new keyboardist, Roddy Bottom, quit the band and started a new group called Faith No More. (laughs) And they chose that name to accentuate the fact that the man, who was Mike Morris, was no more. So I'm assuming they had some conflict with him and started a whole band to spite him, hence Faith No More. That's a lot of subtext. Yeah. Damn. Billy Gold, Roddy Bottom, and Mike Borden are the longest remaining members of the band, having been involved with Faith No More since its inception. And the band underwent several lineup changes early in their career, along with some major changes later on. The current lineup consists of Gold, Bottom, Borden, guitarist John Hudson, and, of course, Mike Patton on vocals. 
After releasing six studio albums, Faith No More officially announced their breakup on April 20th, 1998, but have since reunited, embarked on a tour called the Second Coming Tour, which went from 2009 to 2012, and then released their seventh studio album, Soul Inviticus, last May in yeah. 2000, or two Mays ago in 2015. Which I listened to a little bit before. This I actually haven't listened to it's it. It's not bad. It's really not bad. It's not like a... It's, it's not experimental in any way. I like remember Mr. Bungle, but it's not bad. I remember the needle drop. I did. I, I don't know why. I didn't listen to it, but I watched the needle drops review That's of it. And he said that he was he liked it, but he felt they played it a little too safe. Yeah. They didn't yeah. Really take any chances with it. Yeah. Uh, Faith No More's lyrics have been described as bizarrely humorous. And when interviewed about his lyrics, Patton responded, quote, I think that too many people think too much about my lyrics. I am more a person who works more with the sound of the word than with its meaning. Often I just choose words because of the rhythm, not because of the meaning, end quote. Uh, they've also been credited with laying the groundwork that gave birth to new metal, yeah. primarily due to the popularity of Epic, which featured this fusion of rap and rock. So this album, The Real Thing, it's the third studio album by the band and the first to feature the vocal talents of Mike Patton. Um, it was their first album to combine heavy metal, funk, and rock into kind of a distinct sound. And... It's one of their more successful albums to date, and it's considered to be a classic metal album by fans and critics alike. Mm -hmm. And although it was released in the mid in mid nineteen eighty nine, the real thing actually did not enter the Billboard two hundred charts until February nineteen ninety, after they released Epic as the second single. This song mm -hmm. is kind of what put them on the map. Now mm -hmm. it should be noted that it was kind of a weird situation. While Mike did vocals for this album, he really had nothing to do with it musically because the band had all of the music already written for the album. And then uh. they kicked out Chuck as their lead singer. <laughs> and then Mike came in and in the span of two weeks wrote lyrics for all of the music that had already been written. Really? You know, that is uh, Pearl Jam's first album was very, very similar. They had all the music and then they finally picked Eddie Vedder and he, Eddie Vedder just went around and like, did drugs on the beach for like two weeks and wrote words to it. That was his only contribution, which was significant, but it's interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I know with their second album, which is considered to be like their greatest one, that's when Mike had more to do with it, and it's it is considered to be like their Magum opus. Yeah. Yeah. And I know he did a bunch of shit like experimented with like sleep deprivation to write certain songs. <laughs> oh, like man. I think the song I think it's called Caffeine. He like stayed up for like two or three days straight and then wrote lyrics for the song after his experiences of just being awake and driving around. Wow. He said like he he stayed up for like two or three days straight and he went to like really bad parts of town and just parked his car and just watched people like interact. <laughs> And then he wrote a song about it. Wow. The things he does for the fans, man. Yeah, so that's, he got, they got way more experimental yeah. after this album. Yeah. So this track, Epic, second single off the band's third album, and it was their breakthrough hit. It peaked at number nine on the Billboard Hot 100 and was the band's only top 10 hit in the U.S. It ranked number 46 on the Triple J Hottest 100 of all time which is considered to be the largest music poll in the world. So I think it's kind of like 
anybody can submit to it. And out of the world population, wow, the hive mind ranked at 46 on the top 100 greatest songs of all time. <laughs> nice. Uh, it has a music video, which Bear, was directed yeah. by Ralph Zimmon. Uh, the music video features surreal images, which are allegedly inspired by Salvador Dali. Combined with performance footage of the band being soaked by an artificial rainstorm on a soundstage. Uh, the music video was subject to some controversy, though, by animal rights activists due to, as Dominic mentioned, uh, the end of the music video, there is a fish flopping out of the water and quote-unquote mm-hmm. dying on camera. During an interview, the band joked that the fish belonged to Icelandic singer Bjork and that they had stolen it from her at a party she hosted with when really? she was with the sugar cubes and they were at. <laughs> and then there's also stories that the band told that Bjork gave the fish to the band at a poetry reading she was holding in San Francisco. And then Bjork went on to confirm this story herself and then defended the group saying, quote, I know those guys, I know they wouldn't do anything to harm him, but I know if I had gone home with my fish, which was given to me, none of this would have ever happened, end quote. <laughs> Drama. The drama. Yeah. Did well, the fish die? I presumably. No one, no one, but who knows? I have no yeah. idea. No idea. Is and it still alive? There's other <laughs> stories that it was just bought from like a pet shop down the street when yeah. they were recording it. So I don't know. Speaking of drama, uh, enter Anthony Kiedis from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. After this music video came out, Anthony. Is it Kiedis? I think that's how yeah, you say Kiedis, it. Yeah, Kiedis. Uh, went on, on some sort of interview or something. Went on record saying that Patton stole his style <laughs> because of the way he sings and dances in the epic music video. Which is hilarious because I'm, I like, it seems very self aware and like almost mocking in the video. Very like he's mocking. dancing like, yeah. it's like you wouldn't want to. <laughs> That's like Trump saying Alec Baldwin is stealing Ex- his stealing style. His, yeah. It's like, you know, he's making fun of this. Exactly. <laughs> and so listeners, keep this in mind, because this Anthony Kiedis thing is going to come up in a big way later on yeah. in the episode. So, epic. The music and title of the song were conceived prior to the lyrics being written, like I said, and prior to Patton even joining the band. So, uh, basically, they wrote this music... And as just kind of like a little code name for it, they're like they just codenamed the song "Epic" because it had an epic sound to it. Yeah. And then they just kept the word "Epic." It has nothing to do with the song. The word "Epic" isn't mentioned once yeah. in the entirety yeah. of the song. <laughs> and the lyrics are very enigmatic, constantly alluding to uh, it without ever explaining what it is. Yeah. Um, in 1990, Patton stated that the song was about, quote, sexual frustration, sex, and the lack of sex, end quote, as well as it being about masturbation, stating most people don't like to talk about it, and I'm here to tell you, I love it. That's kind of <laughs> what Epic's really about. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm many sure. fans consider the song to be about the magical feelings caused by the good and bad effects of various drug usage, and then other people just think it's about sex and vagina pretty much i honestly i think the ambiguity of the lyrics 
go along with the idea of the song. Yeah, I <laughs> they, think they never yeah. say what it is, so I don't think you're supposed to know. I what think it's it a, is. yeah. The li- looking for me in the lyrics, it's like I think it was just like jokey to me. It was very like self-aware. The song is called Epic. He keeps talking ambiguously about something being epic. It's magic. It's tragic. It's win. It's loss. And it feels so good. It's like walking on glass. Yeah, and it, it just constantly sounds like there's something epic. And then you're literally like, what you, is it? And then the refrain is seriously, say, what, what is, is it? it? It's like it a joke to me. To me, the one, not to start just getting into what I think. I like this song, but no, that's fine. one way to not appreciate it correctly, I think, is to disregard the self-awareness of the track. Because I think when I first heard it, I didn't really like it because I was like, this sounds so, like, corny. Which, hey, that's not really fair to listen to from someone like... I first heard it in, like, 2004, after new metal yeah. started and, like, raps already Wait, so evolved. when you say corny, do you mean, like, the band corn or corny as in cheesy? Both, both probably. Yeah. It just sounded, like, campy and, like... Uh, but you go back then and, and that new metal sound... That's that's very new. That funk rap with hard rock. But that one thing to not disregard is the self awareness, which I think a lot of new metal bands and alt they got way too self serious. Whereas here, it's like that's what struck me the most. Going back and watching the video and listening to it is like they're just fucking around. It's great music, but like <laughs> they're not going for <laughs> it's epic. And he's a, like dancing and goofing. There's and... there's a very short scene. Did you catch when the keyboardist is dancing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's yeah, like a brief yeah, period yeah, where he's yeah. not playing keys. And he's like doing the, like this like crab stance, and he's just kind of like swinging yep. back and forth with his arms <laughs> up in the air, and like that's. Either the dumbest or most genius thing yeah, I've ever seen just, in my life. They're, ju- they're goofing off. Honestly, like, they're just goofing around. And it's great. And also, like, the lyrics are also, like, the rhyme is very linear. Like, fast, glass. But, like, at least Mike Patton is inflecting it in a really wacky way. Like, His glass, voice is very weird. Fast. Like, when he says, like, what is it? It's like, what is it? Yeah, exactly. Like, he makes, he's, like, straining it for as much like interesting depth as humanly possible in what's otherwise is lyrically not interesting the song but he makes it interesting by the sound which is kind of a recurring tip of the hat i'll give to him because because like he adds a different depth to listening to the lyrics it's just the sound becomes an instrument his voice is the most interesting instrument on the entire song. Oh yeah, it's the, the only rest reason of the song people is just a throwaway. Yeah, but the, the music itself is not bad. The music instrumentation isn't bad. It's hard for me in 2016. Yeah, to li- it's so fucking dated. Yeah, it's, it's the most ninety. The bass it was dated ten the years bass ago. Even sounds yeah. like the Seinfeld theme music. Yeah, the keys, those like cheesy horns yep in the music video and the clothes they're wearing it like, looks the guitarist has a tucked in shirt <laughs> and suspenders on <laughs> and he's got like kenny g hair yeah and it's just it's so freaking dated it, so 10 years ago it was dated <laughs> so now it's even worse but like i understand like 89 like this was like there's a yeah. like this set a precedent for yeah. the 90s. Yeah, so the like fact this, that this it was looks cutting dated. edge at the time, yeah. probably. Yeah, exactly. The fact that it looks dated is a testament to how m- much influence it had. Now it looks derivative. <laughs> yeah, no, but, it's true. But I mean, yeah, the and it's very hard. 
for me to hear because we're both cursed. We're absolutely cursed with new metal because we were, unless you were listening to this when you were really no, young. No, I did not see, hear we, this until after. We new have metal. to reverse engineer our appreciation for new metal because we heard, we probably first heard the shitty stuff and then we were like, okay, corn's actually not bad. Or maybe, you know, we like corn. I like corn. You I like, like corn. corn too. I still like them. Yeah. But like all the new metal, and then we yeah. like slowly go back and then you hear this, and this sounds like. Like this, this song could be a parody of new metal. It could be. You want it? It's bad. <laughs> you got it, and it's good. <laughs> but, but we have to somehow reverse engineer and like listen to things around that same time. And it's, it is. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I don't have a doubt in my mind that when this came out, it was edgy. <laughs> No, but it sounds so nice. I'm I'm sure now. like the Corey Taylor, the lead singer of Slipknot and Stone Sour, has said like how watching them perform this at like the 1992 MTV Music Awards yeah. is like what caused him to continue making music or yeah. something like yeah. this. Like, Corn has stated that mr bungle and faith no more like is where they got their guitar sound from really so yeah. like yeah yep. like, i could totally mr bungle without like this is prop like if i don't think new metal would exist yeah. 90s mainstream metal wouldn't exist without yeah faith no more and mr bungle yeah mike Patton. no i could totally see and and again the voice if if it wasn't mike Patton's voice this probably wouldn't be a hit his voice is the most like provocative instrument mm-hmm. on the whole thing because it's just crazy sounding. What is it? And I, watching the music video is also kind of weird because like <laughs> yeah. you can totally tell that Mike Patton, this young eighteen-year-old, joined this band of a bunch of old dudes. Like, yeah, they're, like he's the most like, like, like the most uncool like aging rock guys and then this young super young freshly shaven long-haired <laughs> mike Patton hopping around is like what the fuck are you doing with yep. these clowns yep yeah yeah he looks really young he actually that. when his with his face shaved and his long hair he kind of almost looks like like andrew wk almost yeah a bit, I yeah feel. definitely and just the clothes he's wearing he's got boxing gloves on and <laughs> did you notice when they in the rain scene he has a mr bungle t-shirt on oh really yeah. i didn't catch that that's funny no, that, I gotta say, that's the one, the one th- biggest thing I got from this, besides Mike Patton's voice, is tr- truly the the reason the song, I think, has replay value, is his voice. But the self-awareness and the, wha- the spirit of, like, just wacky goofiness, like, I, almost as if that's why, because not only... I think that it, that light, playful experimentation, and they get this funk rap with very heavy rock. But then the end, the last like forty-five seconds, is like sticks or classical piano. That piano is like I actually really like that. It's piano beautiful. Part. It's like <laughs> except in the music video, of course. Yeah, and then it blows the piano up. fucking but explodes. Like, again, that's like if anything, like I don't blame new metal for. I don't blame a lot of people for listening to this, being like this is cool. Although I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I would do it now, but like the one thing to really get out of it is like the self-awareness and like the the wackiness. They're not self-serious at all, at all. Whereas no. a lot of the new metal and then the new metal like, derivatives we're, on we're the radio, we're so dark and yeah, edgy. Yeah, way too self-serious. Whereas this, it's like you could have tossed them like 
a kazoo and they would have been incorporated like, right. it somehow. <laughs> like they don't give a shit. So yeah. I don't know. It's it is a cultural artifact. It's goofy, but it it's is like a, intentionally yeah. goofy. It is it's a cultural artifact. <laughs> All right. I think we should stop talking about Epic because we've talked about it for a very long time. What have we said? Wait, I was gonna it? ask Dom, what okay. is it? <laughs> I actually it's funny. He must have said the masturbation thing just to fuck with people. I'm sure he did. It has to be. But you think it's masturbation? I think it's nothing. Okay. I think it like that's the joke. The song is epic. Yeah. He's talking about something epic, and you want to know what it is, but it's nothing. What is have, it? There is no intention what in is what it is. It? Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our second track, "Carry Stress in the Jaw" by Mr. Bungle, off the 1995 album Disco Volante. Mr. Bungle was an experimental fusion avant-garde rock band from Eureka, California. The band formed in 1985 while the members were still in high school, and it was named after a 1950s children's educational film regarding <laughs> bad habits, which was then later, which was then featured in a 1981 Pee Wee Herman HBO special. Which I think they caught it backwards, right? They yeah. first saw the Pee Wee Herman. I there's no way they saw the original in 1950. Yeah, like they weren't yeah. alive back then. I think I read the interview. So like, I just watched Pee Wee Herman. I found a video of it if you guys are curious, but it's basically like this, like, don't be a Mr. Bungle. Mr. Bungle uh, doesn't wash his hands after going to the bathroom. Don't yeah. be a Mr. Bungle. <laughs> so that's where they got the name from. Uh, Mr. Bungle was known for its highly eclectic style, often cycling through several musical genres within the course of a single song. Many of its songs have an unconventional structure and utilize a wide array of instruments and samples. Their live shows often featured members dressing up in an array of costumes, often lots of like clown masks and actually bondage outfits. <laughs> um, I never found anything to confirm this, but my friend Adam once told me that actually like Mike Patton had like collects rare bondage and gimp outfits wow. and actually in many like in the I first music that. video for quote unquote the whole music video he has a gimp mask on <laughs> so i mean they're they're also famously known for doing cover songs during their concerts uh, the band went on hiatus after two their 2000 tour supporting their 1999 album california and then ultimately broke up in 2004 Patton's bad relationship with Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> continued into his Mr. Bungle work. Uh, Mr. Bungle's California was actually scheduled to be released on June 8th, 1999, which was the exact same day that the Red Hot Chili Peppers album Californication was supposed to come out. What? They it had to be intentional. I know. Or was it total coincidence? I don't know. Because That's so funny. they were both on That's Warner so Brothers. Funny. Yeah. Warner they were Brothers. Both on the same label? Even? Yeah. Wow. That's why Warner Brothers they pushed, it pushed yeah. Mr. Bungle's California back so it wouldn't compete with the Red Hot Chili Peppers release of Californication. <laughs> so we have Anthony Keats saying that Patton ripped him off, and now we have the Red Hot Chili Peppers album taking precedent over Mr. Bungle's. Due to this, Mr. Bungle played an infamous show in Pontiac, Michigan on Halloween of 1999. 
the band appeared on stage dressed up as the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They all had wigs on <laughs> and, and actually had fake <laughs> tattoos on their body and played horrible cover songs or co- like horrible renditions covering Chili Pepper songs such as Give It Away, Around the World, Under the Bridge, and Scar Tissue with Patton deliberately using incorrect lyrics. And Mr. Bungle also satirized many of the mannerisms of the band and also mocked like heroin injections and... <laughs> Because the Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist, uh, Hilly Solvac, actually overdosed yeah. on heroin, so they were making fun of him dying on stage. A little distasteful. So, I, uh, there's actually a full video of this entire concert. I'll post it on our website if you want to see it. But then after this happened and Anthony Kiedis found out about it, it ended up happening that the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Mr. Bungle were scheduled to play a bunch of European festival dates together, but because the Chili Peppers were a headliner band and ultimately got the final say on who got to play, then went to the people running the festival and said, we refuse to play Mr. Bungle place. So they actually got Mr. Bungle kicked off a bunch of shows. That's cold. That's cold. That's career, man. Yeah. Damn. So uh, that's... I, I think it's kind of water under the bridge now. Yeah. No pun intended. Today, so I—I I mean, nothing else has happened there since then. Yeah. Yeah. So initially, when Mr. Bungle broke up, the members spoke about how it would be impossible for a reunion to ever happen. But as the years have gone on, it's become less that way. It seems. Like, immediately in 2004, after they broke up, in an interview with Rolling Stone, Patton said, quote, We could have probably squeezed out a couple more records, but the collective personality of the group became so dysfunctional, this band was poisoned by one person's petty jealousy and insecurity, and it led us to a slow and natural death. And I'm at peace with it, because I know I tried all I could. End quote. And when asked about the possibility of a reunion, he said, quote, It could happen, but I won't be singing. Some bridges have definitely been burned. It was fun. It was a fun time, and sometimes you just have to move on. And I've got a lot on my plate now, end quote. Mm. But then, 10 years later, in 2014, when asked about the possibility of a reunion, Patton said, quote, Who knows? It certainly doesn't seem like it. It's on the tip of anyone's lips. But I could have said the same thing, and in fact, I did say the same thing, about Faith No More, and that happened. Yeah. And I think it happened for the better, end quote. So nice. there might, maybe nice. there will be a Mr. Bungle reunion. Nice. And like I said before, Korn has cited Mr. Bungle as one of their biggest influences, and they actually claim to have gotten their distinct guitar sound from them, calling it the Mr. Bungle chord, which, if you're curious, is a flat fifth chord or a tritone. Nice. Disco Volante is the second studio album by Mr. Bungle. It was released on October 10th, 1995, and it's considered to be the most experimental of all of their albums, yeah. mixing elements from such varied styles as doom metal to jazz to Arabic music to music <laughs> concrete to easy listening and even some tango. Uh, many of the songs are instrumental or feature wordless vocals, the album's title refers to a name of a yacht that was featured in the James Bond movie <laughs> Thunderbolt, and it literally means flying saucer in Italian. Oh, okay. Disco, Disco Volante. Volante. Uh, Mr. Bungle actually has done live versions of that film's theme song, and they actually recorded it on one of their early demos, too. Nice. I, I found a recording of it. I'll post that also if anyone wants to hear it. It's got a cool album cover. Yeah, the album art features 
a feminine eye. I don't know if it's a woman holding a small dried viper fish yeah. that's kind of circular in front of her eye. Yeah, check out that album art. It's Maybe cool. I'll make it the the art for the, yeah. the website. It's cool. It's cool. So Carrie stress in the jaw. So I found out that this track is also called Sleep Part Two. Huh. Which I found out is actually from a series of three songs, the Sleep series. They were all written by Trevor Dunn, the bass player for Mr. Bungle. Uh, Sleep Part Three is Phlegmatics, which is all or f- f- yeah, Phlegmatics. It's also on Disco Volante. Hmm. That's considered to be Sleep Part Three. And then after writing oh. part two and three, he decided he needed a part one. <laughs> so after he'd already written it, he went back to Mr. Bungle's first album and claimed that Slowly Growing <laughs> oh Deaf was Sleep Part One. Well, I guess he can do that. And I guess they're all united because they all have themes dealing with body parts in some way. I guess deaf ears, curious stress in the jaw, and I don't know what phlegmatics has to do with body parts, but something i don't doubt it i believe him yeah (laughs) a section of the lyrics from this track are credited to agar Allan poe (laughs) Uh, the second section of lyrics in the song are taken from his 1835 poem bernice which goes in the multiple objects of the external world i had no thoughts but for the teeth and of bernice i more seriously believed that all her teeth were thoughts the white and ghastly spectrum of the teeth. Meditations were never pleasurable. The phantasm of the teeth maintained its terrible ascendancy. Damn. The dreaded teeth. The dreaded teeth. Damn. And the second half of the track is actually a completely separate song, which is known as the secret song, or it's also sometimes called spy. Spy was often used as a setless code for the secret song and was the working (laughs) title of the song before Disco Volante's release. So a little interesting fact about this. This album was originally only released on vinyl, and anyone who owned the vinyl version of this album might have never known that the secret song existed. Because on the LP, the groove for the secret song was overlaid with the grooves for Carrie Stress in the Jaw, and you would actually have to manually pick up the needle and place it in just such a way to hear it. Otherwise, it would skip over it completely. Wow. So many people never even knew that it actually existed on the album. Really? Wow. Until after it came out on CD. Wow. The kind of sexy, keyboardy, surfy. Yeah, the part surfy the part end. with wow. the old man talking. Wow. That's. And those guys, man. All the vocals on both tracks were performed by Mike Patton, except for the grandpa voice. On the secret song. That was actually Trevor Dunn, the guy who wrote All the Sleeps. Because I guess the whole band of Mr. Bungle secretly recorded the secret track without Trevor Dunn ever knowing about it. So that's why he says that. Yeah, right before Disco Volante was going to come out, he heard it. And he was like, what the fuck? And he got a hold of it and then secretly recorded those grandpa vocals (laughs) over it. Wow. And the band didn't even know about it, that he did it until it was released. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I, wow. that's, that's why he's like, God damn yeah. it, I'm pissed off. And kicked they me kicked out me out of the, the band. band. That's, like, and, that's great. Yeah. Damn. 
So uh, the lyrics for Carrie Stress in the Jaw, I saw a theory online that someone thinks it's about how parents' aspirations and dreams for their children can suffocate and break them. But I honestly just think it's kind of like stream of conscious. I, I, I could yeah, derive no I, meaning from it. It seems to miss the point of the song to look for yeah. some deep and narrative meaning. Obviously, the lyrics to the secret song are about him being pissed off that the band yeah, recorded right, a song without yeah, him. Yeah. So what do you think of Carrie Stress in the Jaw, Sleep Part 2, slash The Secret Song? I, I'm very biased. I mean, Disco Volante is one of my favorite albums from the past like few years I've started listening to. And this song, to me, is like a masterpiece. It's like a... There's the only coherence of the song is the coherence that the patient listener attributes to it. Yeah. As far as I can tell, there's like musically almost no coherence. It like it dares you to like listen, enter into the life world of the song. But like just if I could for a second, like I just want to notate the first like 30 seconds. Go for it. Just because it's so impressive. Because like it, the song starts out with like hard bop, jazz. Right, saxophone, and it sounds like tough. And the bass too. Yeah, the, and like, then, stand, like the double bass. Yep. And in a matter of like just seconds, that that hard bop saxophone t- sounds like a kazoo. I'll walk you through. This, that's how impressive this is. Like it's just constant juxtaposition of sounds till X sounds like not X. It goes from hard bop jazz to like, and then there's like a scratch. <laughs> And then manic tempo with a soft coup of him saying presumably nothing. And then it breaks. And it sounds like prog rock to me for a little bit. Reverby, chasm, and then heavy metal. Super heavy metal. Yep. And then as, as a segue, they use heavy metal as a fucking segue. <laughs> right? It's just yeah. like... And, and then a coup. And then it rebuilds into a humongous scream. And compared, once you get there, then the saxophone re-enters and it seriously sounds like a kazoo, but it's not. I don't think it is. For a second, because there's kazoo on the album, but it's a saxophone. And it's like within a matter of seconds, Mm -hmm. you go from hard bop, which is like edgy, hard, to, to to being rendered to a goddamn kazoo sound. And that is like, that's no easy task. And that's just like a tiny point of like a million points of sound and on this song. <laughs> it works. Too. Somehow it works. It's yeah, not it works, just yeah. nonsense and noise. No, yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's still a very song. intentional. Yeah. Oh yeah. This song it like embodies everything that I think is great about Mike Patton. You know, it's jazzy, it's yep. manic, it's crazy, it's crooning, it's screaming. Yeah. There's old men singing over beach music <laughs> at the end. The sax and bass are like like I said, incredible bebop level shit. Yeah, really. Yeah. The yep. the Poe lyrics are pretty fucking dark and disturbing. Yeah, they're very well About used teeth. here. Yeah, they're really well used here. I think. I don't. Know. And then I also really like the beachy part at the end. I don't. Yeah, it's great. Did yeah. you ever? It's um, like cabana music or something. If you did, you ever watch Kids in the Hall, the yeah, Canadian yeah. sketch comedy show? The theme music by that for that show was by a group called Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet. Okay, yeah. Doom, 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 doom. It kind of yeah. reminds me of that almost, yeah. like just beachy, kind of surfy, yeah, yeah. surfy yep. beachy music. Yep, and just. The goal they had to put those two yeah. songs together. No, and like you said, like 
they they tap into a bunch of different sounds, but they're not just like tourists. They're not just casual, superficial. It all, all the different genres sound very good. They nail it. Yeah, they nail every genre. They're not just like pretending for a second. Like they didn't just learn one riff. They just totally engage in it. Which is, again, I, I can't think of almost any other musician. Maybe Frank Zappa, but Frank Zappa was a little more cynical. These guys are more playful. Yeah. I don't know. That's just incredible and also in in the span of this song mike also like does everything like he can prob like possibly do with his voice yeah like there's really like nice light singing yeah there's crazy screams yeah and then (laughs) in in the secret song he does like weird like do 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 do, 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 do. Yeah. And then in the wah, 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 yeah yeah the wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and then he makes like cat noises like yeah. wah, wah, wah. he sounds like a like Frank's if dun, Frank dun, Sinatra dun, 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 like had dun, dun. dementia yeah and they wheeled him out for one last it's like wah, 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 wah. it's great oh and it I love there's that one part right before it gets heavy again where like you can hear him hit a story he's like wah. yeah <laughs> it's just like yeah. God damn. And like, I don't know, like there's free jazz, which is when jazz musicians all just abandon structure more or less for a bit of time. But like at the two minute mark, it just sounds like free metal, which I've actually, I don't know if I've ever really heard like free metal where all the musicians just improvise. Metal. They all just, and not just improvising within a set structure, but it's just like they all abandon all chordal coherence to just like do whatever the hell they want for a set amount of time like yeah. total like dissonant like duh <laughs> which is again and then they all come back really fast and then it sounds like I mean I could name endlessly the different genres you hear Black Sabbath is in there yeah Beach Boy Cabana music Red Hot Chili Peppers esque all pop is in there for a second I mean you name it and yeah the anchor throughout it all is Mike Patton's voice mm-hmm. which can somehow be a cooey and then the greatest like scream voice <laughs> just like demented oh, and shriek there's a period of time when like the thrash metal comes in and yeah. like the saxophone yeah. is playing along with the thrash mm-hmm. metal which is just like I've never yeah. heard that before yeah, yeah, in my yeah, life. Yeah, never heard it. No, it's this might be like one of the most novel things I've ever heard. Yeah. yeah. My, and it's and it's great. Yeah. It's enjoyable to listen to. Yeah. They sound like masters. It sounds like I also. It sounds like someone has like a gun to their head, and they're like, play every musical genre you possibly can in five minutes, and they just do it, or they won't exist. And they're like, okay, do <laughs> there, there's, there's like definitely like a sense of like urgency. Stress and yeah, yeah, and yeah, urgency yeah. to carry the stress in the jaw. Yeah, like they were all just like under duress. I don't Carrie's know what stress it was. In the jaw. Yeah. But yeah, I also like if jazz is finding as many unique note expressions within a given system, then this is like meta jazz. It's like it's finding as many musical systems within a song. <laughs> and successfully it's, doing yeah, it. It's just like, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's It's like not, it's, I don't know, it's like its own genre of music. It's Mr. Bungle. It's insanity. Because I don't like, you know, it, it was very well acclaimed by critics. But some people were like, well, you know, it just sounds random. But I don't know if that, I think that's being unfair. Like, it's nothing they, obviously, it was all very intentional. And it's, it's extremely impressive. Yeah. You know, even like some of like the, 
the worst critics I saw would say things like, they nail every genre they try to do perfectly, yeah. but to what end? To See, what I think aim? that they're missing it. They're missing it, exactly. I think they are missing it. Yeah, they're missing but it. But even when they're trying to critique it, they're like, they perfectly play yeah, they everything, yeah. but it just doesn't think it goes yeah. anywhere. And it's like, I don't think, if you're looking for it to go somewhere, I don't think then you've missed you're the not point. doing it yeah. right. Yeah, the point is to like, is to to dare to enter into the world of the song and assume that this is somewhere. Get on our nihilism <laughs> level, bro. Yeah, man. No, it's this is yeah one of my favorite songs. But I, it's not for the faint of heart. Like some people could justifiably be like, this song stresses me out. Don't, and I would be like, okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, don't don't play this. <laughs> Guys, the holidays, the holidays are yeah. coming up. <laughs> yeah. and you're all going. Don't play this for your family when you go. When back. your family makes you mad, yeah. go put this Unless, on in the yeah. corner with earbuds. And or if like, you want to alienate yourself from them, play it as yeah, loud play as it you really can. Loud. <laughs> yeah. But then turn off it at the end because your parents But actually, the end. if you want to lull your family into a false sense of security and then alienate them, might I suggest the last song off of Disco Volante, yeah. Merry Go Bye Bye. Yeah, right. Because it starts off as like a really nice 1950s kind of pop song yep. and it takes a very dark turn. Yeah, that's a good one. The shining searchlights <laughs> in the sky. Merry <laughs> Go Bye Bye. Yeah, it's so good. It's a great song. I almost considered doing Mary Go Bye Bye, but I had to go with Carrie Stress. This one, this one is good. It, it represents the breadth and depth of the of the album. All right, let's move on to our next track. Unless you have anything else to say. No, no, no. All right, classic. Let's talk about We're Not Alone by Peeping Tom off the 2006 album Peeping Tom. Peeping Tom is a band led by Mike Patton and features a wide variety of well-known artists such as Massive Attack, Nora Jones, Cool Keith, and Dan the Automator. When describing the band's sound, Mike Patton said, quote, I don't listen to the radio, but if I did, this is what I want it to sound like. This is my version of pop music. In a way, this is an exercise for me, taking all the things I've learned over the years and putting them into a pop format. I've always worked with many people who have said to me, oh, you have a pop record in you. Eventually you'll find it. And I always laughed at them. I guess I owe them an apology, end quote. <laughs> the whole album was written by Patton with a wish list of collaborators he had in mind that he'd hoped would perform on the finished tracks. Hmm. He said, quote, it's an exotic way of working for someone who's accustomed to the band environment. It was charming, really. None of the usual Animal House stuff. Instead of swapping spit and underwear, we were swapping files. Uh. <laughs> End quote. Uh, referring to the fact that almost none of the artists recorded their parts with Patton there, he said, quote, plenty of people on the record are still complete strangers to me. End quote. Because hmm. he hmm. went off and wrote all the music by himself and sent finished sent songs to and vocalists, and yeah. they just recorded their own thing. Yeah, it's weird to think about. Um, meet them. Peeping Tom, the band and album is named after the 1960 Michael Powell film of the same name, Peeping Tom, hmm. which is a British thriller horror film revolving around a serial killer who murders women while using a portable movie camera to record the dying expressions of terror. I have also found the trailer for this film, and we'll post it on our website if you'd like to check it out. Uh, Mike Patton is a self-proclaimed fan of the movie, hence taking the title from it is this the only album by it's the, the only project? peeping tom yeah. album as yeah. of right now and it, it was allegedly like years in the making he started he started working at it in 2000 
and then for like six years he got so busy doing other shit that the album didn't get finished for until 2006 so wow it was i've never actually listened to this whole album it's pretty damn yeah i should check it out little interesting fact the track sucker features the vocal talents of nora jones and was actually the first time she was ever recorded using a profanity she wow. says the word fucker in it. <laughs> Which, if you know Nora Jones, that's not like really a, her yeah. shtick. Yeah. So this track, We're Not Alone Remix. The track features the Dub Trio, who are a dub rock crossover band from Brooklyn. Uh, dub is a genre of music that grew out of reggae in the 1960s. Music in the genre consists predominantly of instrumental remixes of existing recordings it is achieved by significantly manipulating and reshaping the recordings, usually by removing the vocals from the existing piece of music and emphasizing the drum and bass parts. So, all of you EDM fuckheads out there, this is kind of like the birth of your genre. Yeah. But they were doing this shit like analog in the studio. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the dub trio, hmm. with an addition of electronic rock and punk and heavy metal, pay homage to the genre, and specifically to King Tubby, who was a pioneer of the genre in his original dub style but instead of recreating the sound with studio trickery they do it live on stage with various delay pedals keyboards and samplers and i found out they do something pretty interesting each member of the band has a pedal that controls another member of the band's instrument so without so like they can control each other's sound without yeah you know what i'm saying yeah, like wow. the guitar like the drummer could start fucking with the guitar sound and he has no yeah. control over it wow so I th- it's kind of cool yeah that's pretty wild so that's this song cool. originally appeared on one of their albums i think it's called the heavy and then they did a remixed version which Patton then used it also featured Patton's vocals but then he did this remix version of it for his album peeping tom mm-hmm. so what did you think of we're not alone uh yeah i thought this was a good representation of like how Mike Patton m- takes something that could be simple, but it makes it complex. Yes. He makes it complex. Cause like you don't like, he, he'll always say like, we're not alone in the song. And by the end, you have no idea if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> Is he screaming I, yeah. at you? He's like, screaming, we're not alone. We're not alone. And, we're like, not alone. and like, if there's like a yin, like it, cause it starts like, like slow and sexy, which you could say, us. yeah. And that's like one part of, you know love and then and then the other side and then he just screams like about to burst like bring my freedom and then between those two extremes then you get the kind of alt rocky voice where he sings like not alone in this psychodrome which again if if anything like he's the master of like juxtaposition you hear the cool soft then you hear the crazy, and then what and then the normally nice mix of the yeah, yeah, and then what would normally sound like just like oh, this is just an average like incubacy type. Yeah. Instead, it sounds like it's part of something much more complex. Mm-hmm. Which that to me, besides even what the lyrics mean, he just does that with the sound. That's yeah, like, sonically. Yeah, sonically, it's like damn. That's but what no, happens when you have a six octave. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and I would definitely agree with you because it does like the the. The two uh, verses 
do kind of have like he's singing in this falsetto and it's kind of sultry and yeah. sexy yeah, and like yeah, yeah. almost like Bee Gees esque yeah, like with the yeah. falsetto, a little Prince kind of slower. But, but then there's that "Bring My Freedom" line that just out of nowhere blinds at <laughs> you. Bring my freedom. <laughs> it's like okay, something fucked up is happening. And then yeah. I don't know. Overall, I'd say the song is kind of oddly uplifting. But yeah. then I agree. Near the like. For the majority of the song, when he's saying we're not alone, it feels like a, we're in this together. Yeah. And yeah. by the end, it's like, <laughs> there's someone else it. in the house. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. We're not I... alone. There's someone else here. <laughs> Freak the fuck out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, especially starting around the three minute 10 mark, that's when it really starts to kind yeah. of build yep. up to this like drum smashing. This climax yeah. of him screaming, we're not alone. And yep. then there's like this, there's this beautiful outro that has yeah. like this like, really kind of ethereal reverse tinging guitars yeah it's like ambient swirl and there's kind of like a, like a distorted radio broadcast of like him saying like i don't want to lose yeah. you yeah 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 it's very yeah nice yeah the and outro kind of, yeah and it almost like gives me the shivers yeah. a bit like yeah. it feels like something really intense just happened and like i'm like sitting in the aftermath yeah exactly almost. yeah yeah i don't know. and I, I i sat there and i read these lyrics and i'm like what the fuck is this song about? And I know Mike says like, don't read into my lyrics, but I, I really, I really don't know. Like yeah. psychodrome. What does that, does that mean like the world or does it mean like a crowd of people, like a hippodrome or an aerial? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not alone in the psycho. Yeah. Or is it like, is it like a portmanteau of the word psycho and drome or does it mean psychodrama? I, yeah. I have no idea. And then like, and like even the line right after that, he's like, you know what I mean? And like, that could be the most like stock line, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he even even that line he delivers in like a like the signature like mangled Mike Patton delivery. It's like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he can't, which I, I appreciate because even like that to me, if I were to isolate one line that was like the most throwaway, it's like if you know what I mean. But like he delivers it again. Like there's something more. Like there's some the way he delivers it signifies that there's it has some greater meaning to all the other lyrics and i have no idea what it is but i appreciate it <laughs> and then he throws in lines like i'll i'll just be like the baby in your arms yeah and yeah i don't know i kind of got this after reading the lyrics and listening to it a bunch and i, I don't really have any reason for this but i kind of got like this like matrix vibe uh-huh. to the song like i kind of got this feeling like we live in this false world of chaos and trying to go through it i don't want to lose myself and i don't want to lose my romantic partner yeah and it's like this kind of this idea of we're gonna get through it and like at the like we said like at the beginning it's like we're gonna get through this together and by the end it's like oh they're on to us we're not alone we're being caught yeah yeah paranoid though but i mean you know that's just my interpretation no that could definitely be yeah it's it's something it's a great song. Yeah. It's very catchy. It's very moving. It's very intense. And yeah. I think you were onto something. Like, it shows his ability to take kind of like a normal, catchy sound and also make it very novel and original yeah. at the same time. Yeah. You think there's some, there's a lot. It has a ton of, re- to me, that's like there's two types of replay value. One is like an earworm where it's like, and that's the essence of pop music. Like, oh yeah, it's catchy and I want to hear the catchy hook again. Which not quite ever a Mike Patton song. No. But the other type is like there's something more happening than I first 
heard and that every like every single Mike Patton song even if it's like sounds like fingernails on a chalkboard which most don't <laughs> but he's got some weird ass songs but they all sound like there's something more going on that's some good for yeah they all yeah <laughs> they Sorry. all have a lot yeah, going on they do they all have a lot going on no I, I think I, I love yeah. this song. It's great. Yeah. You got anything else? To no, no, no. It's a great song. And he's, again, like, a love is made like a Starbucks chain and stuff. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's not a bad writer. Again, his lyric writing always, to me, takes a second, you know, second seat to his delivery. The sound is the yeah, most the important sound. part of it. But he's not, he's not a bad lyricist either. No, he's, he's not. not. Yeah. Like, you know... I wouldn't say it's like amazing, but it's also like it's interesting enough to like make you ask, "What's this guy yeah, all what's about?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. With that, we can. We say with that. Fuck. All right. <laughs> let's move on to not with that. Let's just move on to our next track. <laughs> Without that. Without yeah. that. Let's move on to our next track. <laughs> Litany Four by John Zorn, featuring the Moonchild Trio. Mm-hmm. Off of the 2007 album Six Litanies for Helio Gabalus. I have no idea what that word means. I know what Do that you? means. I, I did no some idea. fucking research nice. on this track. Nice. So I won't sound like such an idiot, <laughs> at least. John Zorn is an American composer, arranger, producer, saxophonist, multi instrumentalist from New York City, New York. That dude has a ton of crazy shit. I've heard just t- tip of the iceberg before. Did this. you ever watch the remake for the movie Funny Games that came out yeah, a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember how the opening of the scene shows the family driving in the car yep. and it's all happy? And then, like, this fucking crazy thrash metal music yeah. plays? That's, That's a John, John Zorn, Zorn song. Wow. Yep. Dude, that guy is fucking wild. Dude, this, yeah, if you want to go down a rabbit hole of a guy, look up John Zorn. I think he has an album or two with Brian Eno. I'm sure That's he does. That's weird. They're so... It's really good. It's he, really he, goddamn He does weird. shit with, like, everybody. Yeah. yeah. So, John Zorn has hundreds upon hundreds of albums credited to him as a performer, composer, producer mm. across a variety of genres, including jazz, rock, hardcore, classical, surf, metal, klezmer, soundtrack, ambient, <laughs> and improvised music. Though he's most comfortably sits in kind of the avant-garde experimental genre. And before you ask... Klezmer is a musical tradition of Ashkenazi Judaism of Eastern Europe, consisting of dance tunes and instrumental display pieces for weddings and other celebrations. Of course. So, like, if you think of, like, the traditional kind of, like, Jews carrying people on chairs at wedding, that's, like, Klezmer music. Okay. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah. Uh, He owns his own record label. It's called... Tzadik, T-Z-A-D-I-K, which he began in the mid-90s, and it has like over 400 fucking releases credited to it. Most of wow. them are projects he's involved with, but there's other wow. other bands around there as well. Nothing that I've ever heard of, really. Uh, Zorn's compositions cross many genres, and he stated, quote, all the various styles are organically connected to one another. I'm an additive person. The entire storehouse of my knowledge informs everything I do. People are so obsessed with the surface that they can't see the connections, but they're there. Composing is more than just imagining music. 
It's knowing how to communicate to musicians. And you don't give an improviser music that's completely written out or ask a classical musician to improvise. I'm interested in speaking to musicians in their own language and on their own terms and in bringing out the best in what they do to challenge them and excite them, end quote. Hmm. Now, the sheer amount of information I could share with you about Zorn yes. would constitute for an episode in and of yeah, itself. Yeah, I believe it. And since this episode is about Mike Patton, I feel like I don't want to get too into Zorn. Is so this the only collaboration as far as no, you know? No, he's they've collaborated the a bunch. Okay, yeah, oh, tons. Okay. They, so this uh, Moonchild series has seven albums within it of itself. Oh, man. And then they have another wow. band together called Hemophiliac. Oh, okay. And then Patton has also been on other John Zorn things such as Naked City and I like it. He's clar- and actually John Zorn produced the first Mr. Bungle album. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. Damn. Yeah. So, like I said, I don't want to get too much into Zorn. If you're curious yeah. to learn more about him, let me know and maybe we could do an episode yeah. about him. Yeah. Otherwise, he has a tome of a Wikipedia article you can delve into and <laughs> his website's even more dense. So, yeah. definitely check him out. He's a crazy genius. So this Moonchild Trio originally formed in 2006 when John Zorn put out this album called Moonchild Songs Without Words. The Moonchild Trio consists of Mike Patton, Trevor Dunn, and Joey Barron. It's an album that consists of voice, bass, and drums. Trevor Dunn, as you might remember, is a founding member of Mr. Bungle, wrote Carrie Stress in the Jaw. He's a crazy-ass bass player. Yeah. Uh, Wow. He's also... In the band Tomahawk, which is another Mike Patton project as well. And Joey Barron is an American avant-garde jazz drummer who plays frequently with John Zorn, but has also collaborated with the likes of Chet Baker, Stan Getz, Hampton Hawes, and Dizzy Gillespie. So it's this crazy-ass album that John Zorn composed. He's actually not on the first Moonchild album at all, and it's just Mike on vocals, Trevor on bass, Joey on drums. And it's a crazy fucking album. <laughs> yeah, I have this. I there's this pretty. My friend Eric and I once drove from Minneapolis up to Duluth in his car listening to this. And he had a big <laughs> amp in the back of his car that was hooked up to the stereo system. And like, I feel like it drained some of the life out of us to just listen <laughs> yeah. to this. It's crazy. Yeah, it's not a passive music. There's no words said on the entirety yeah. of the album. It's just noises from Patton, and it's just crazy ass <laughs> drum and bass on like to like so back Patton, it up. So Patton's on every song. Yes. Okay. Now. Yep. Oh, okay. Wow. So this album, Six Litanies for Helio Gabalus, is the third album to feature the Moonchild Trio. And it's also the first in the series to feature additional musicians other than the trio. So there's some additional musicians on this album. The concept for the recording was inspired by the Roman emperor, Elagiabalus. Of course. Who's also known as Heliogabulus. Duh. He was the Roman emperor from... Uh, 218 to 222. 222, of course. Perfect year. Yeah, of course. He was barely 14 years old when he became emperor, and his reign was remembered mainly for sex scandals and religious controversy. Historians suggest that Elia Gabalus shooed in disregard for the Roman religious traditions and sexual taboos. 
he was a uh, a priest of the Roman god Elagabalus. And when he became emperor, he replaced the traditional head of the Roman pantheon, Jupiter, with the deity to whom he was the high priest of Elagabalus. And he supposedly forced many members of the government to actually worship this new god instead of Jupiter. Mm. Uh, he was supposedly married as many as five times, some to men, some to women, lavished favors on male courtiers, and was thought who were thought to have been his lovers. And he was also reported to have prostituted himself while reigning in the imperial palace. Wow! It How is, much did he charge? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's interesting financial predicament. Yeah. There. <laughs> and it's also said that he enhanced his natural good looks by the regular application of cosmetics and was described as to have been delighted to call himself the mistress, the wife, and the queen of Heriocles and was reported to have offered vast sums of money to any physician who could equip him with female genitalia. Wow. Hence, some modern writers have characterized him as one of the first transgender to transsexual world leaders yeah, of history. all time. Wow. Elegia Ballas developed a reputation among his contemporaries for extreme eccentricity, decadence, and zealotry. And according to the historian Barthold Gregor Niebuhr, the name Elegia Ballas is branded in history above all others because of his unspeakingly disgusting life. <laughs> when he was only 18 years old, he was assassinated and replaced by his cousin Severus Alexander in a plot formulated by his own grandmother. Oh my god. In the album Six Litanies or what the fuck is this album called? Yeah, Six yeah, Litanies six, for Heliogabalus. The album notes specifically make reference to an alleged story involving Elegiabalus, where he smothered a room full of unsuspecting dinner guests to death with rose petals. Wow. This is taken from Augustian history, and the text reads, quote, In a banqueting room with a reversible ceiling, he once buried his parasites in violets and other flowers so that some were actually smothered to death being unable to crawl out to the top end <laughs> quote and then in, nine, in 1888 the Anglo-Dutch artist Sir Lawrence Alma Tedema painted a scene depicting this event in like a actual fancy ass painting yeah dinner guests being smothered to death by rose petals Jeez. which was allegedly the inspiration for this album so, Litany 4 <laughs> is a solo voice, uh, a solo piece for voice. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, was the first thing I wrote. What, yeah. what, what, do, you, what do you think It's of like this? A, the charismatic movement in evangelical Christianity in America is typified by the glossolalia. The glossolalia. Have you heard of glossolalia? I, I may not be saying it right. I have not heard of but that. But that—that's the enraptured. That—that's like the um, the the kind of possessed speaking in tongues. Okay. Where you just say like, yeah. And like if he. Oh, actually, I think we talked about this when we talked about Sigurós a while ago. I think so. I thought okay. you said it once. Maybe. You're right. No. I, I feel do like remember if this now. if uh, if if this was reperformed at a charismatic movement event, he would like be get first medal. Like they were probably in the movement, they'd be like, "Yo, you just, this is our man. You just, you just exhausted every possible amazing thing you could say without speaking 
word. <laughs> like, he sounds like he's possessed. <laughs> I don't know. It's just totally insane. It's totally insane. It's, yeah, that's, that's the best way you can put it. I, I think it's hilarious how the only singing part of his performance where it actually sounds nice is immediately followed by vomiting and choking yeah. noises. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's incredibly <laughs> original. Yeah. And not that I would go to the song for regular listening, but I think it's pretty damn amazing. Oh, did you watch yeah. that video I sent you of him doing this live? Oh, I forgot to watch that. Okay. Damn, you have to so post like, it. I, I, I think if you were just given this song, you would think, oh, he just sat down in a recording booth and for eight minutes just made random noises. Yeah. No, there is sheet music for this song, and he can perform this live to the T of the audio recording. Wow. He's reading sheet music. John Zorn wrote every one of those noises he made out. Because if you watch wow. the live performance of it, it sounds exactly like that word for wow. not sound, sound for sound. For sound. Wow. Like the studio recording that is featured on this album. I would love to like have that sheet music and like frame yeah. it. Like, I, what does it look like? I tried Googling it. <laughs> I couldn't it find like, like a picture wow. of it. No, it's an, I, I gotta say it is like the essence of subversive music. It's it's like everything. It's like every sound that you don't think should be publicly disseminated for entertainment consumption is on here. Like people, yeah, gagging and coughing and sighing and laughing yeah, and, and la pig squeals. Yeah, it's like all the things are not supposed to have on a final product of sound to give out to people. So it's like very like punk in that sense. It's very subversive. Well, it's, it's extremely subversive. And like these live performances are like in Europe in fancy concert halls with like dignified listeners wow. that are like yeah. watching him and like they stand up and <laughs> clap for him after he he does this like like it was like like an opera piece almost. Yeah. And he's just I don't know. <laughs> this might have been like I think the first time I listened to this might have been like one of the most intense eight minutes of my life. Yeah, it's insane. And and like you said, like when he does sing, by the time he gets again, that's like something his voice is so good at, like juxtaposing sounds. So you finally hear something familiar, like that singing, and it sounds like sacred now. When he finally traditionally yeah, he sings, gets, it's like yeah. you're like, oh, this is it's the payoff, <laughs> and then it's like, Bleh. and then you immediately get punished. <laughs> it's like, wow, yeah, it's it's amazing. It is amazing. It, yeah, it just, and it, it, it's the only way I can describe it. It's like it's not notational, as in like music. It's just like elemental. It's, it's like blocks of sound. Yeah, they're just like, Whoa. and like, not that like I could just sit down and like listen to this all yeah. the time but i don't think i think it does a good job of like keeping you interested for eight minutes yeah to, oh to a yeah point. like definitely it, it never gets to the, like like i said I, I couldn't listen to this every day but like there was never a time where i was saying i'm like okay hurry up get on with it it's right just like, what's he gonna do next what's he gonna do yeah. next yeah no that and and again it, it makes you think about the limits of of what is considered music I mean, not to be philosophic about, but if no, there was ever is. a philosophic song, it would be this, like, is someone... Because it's not just that he, like, will scream and do stuff that's fucked up, but then you hear him literally, like... <sighs> yeah, breathing like, like getting Like, he's, like, exhausted from doing it. He's, like, trying to get his breath back. And it's, like... It's almost like a Samuel Beckett play where like, you know, like parts of it are just them making sounds and like breathing and there's silence. And you're like, what is, 
you know, like there is a sequence built into it where you start to wonder, like, is the sound of someone coughing or choking music? Why well, isn't it music? Yeah, you know, well, it, it like, gets into, like, you know, fucking John Cage. That's minutes, what I thought, too. Yeah, was it John, 2 minutes, yep. 33 seconds or yeah, whatever? Yeah, or a bunch of the other stuff he did, too, where it's like... Yeah, pen, pens dropping. And, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's, why isn't that music? It's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's kind of just like a more modern take, because they were doing that back in yeah. however yeah. long ago it yeah. was. Now it's... And I think this definitely... I don't think it's copying that. It's pushing yes, that pushing idea it. to like the farthest limits it can be pushed. Because it even sometimes takes like elements. Because what, what's even different is, I mean, I don't know John Cage that well, but he was taking sounds that were basically never in music, kind of, and saying like, "Why isn't this music?" You yeah. Know, like, but this is like parts of it, like n- like near the like a uh, six minute ish mark. It's like he takes parts from music and then just decontextualizes them. Like you hear the screaming, like, Rah! but you don't hear the heavy metal. You don't hear the no. doom metal. You hear nothing. And then you're like, and now in this context, why is this even? <laughs> yeah. Like if we consider screamo music, which everyone does, why isn't it when it's decontextualized why isn't that into other moaning music? So well, it's very smart. No, that's well, yeah, very and- smart. Continuing off that idea, like you said, like John Cage would take things that weren't traditionally used for music. Yeah. What is more musical than the human voice? Like yeah, I feel exactly. like going way back before we thought to create instruments, the voice yeah, was, was the, the voice. first thing we could use to make music yeah. with. Yeah, exactly. And this might be one of the first times I experienced at least someone deconstruction <laughs> deconstructing and questioning the capabilities of the human voice. Yeah. Yeah. ability to make music yeah what's the acceptable sounds a voice can make and still be music i mean yeah it's honestly it's one of the most fascinating songs yeah. i've heard and i you know i i can't of course john zorn gave birth this idea but i don't yeah. know if anyone could actually perform this <laughs> other than mike pat yeah probably not who, who else could do this yeah no one. yeah probably no one but it uh, it is very much worth a listen Honestly, it's very impressive. It's At least once. Impressive. Yeah. And if nothing, it, it's, it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. Of I'm, course. Like, you know, and, and so there's no wrong way to react to it. I don't know. It's impressive. I don't think I'll go and listen to the whole album front to back. But <laughs> you should at least check it out enough. Maybe not this album, the Moonchild one. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, but I like, check it out. Hearing it along with the drum and bass, it's still pretty intense yeah. and kind of off-putting but i think i could do it in song like i could listen to one song and take an hour break listen to i don't know if i could yeah. listen to like an hour block it gets to be <laughs> a bit much or maybe that's when you really start getting it, it just yeah after it's down broken mentally. you down <laughs> and you realize that we're not alone yeah yeah that's yeah, when it gets yeah, exactly. that's when it gets good <laughs> okay let's move on to our final track the finale i don't know is it just Two Cupo Dolore, or is it? I don't really. Il Cupo? I, Il, Il, Cupo Il Cupo Dolore? Yeah. It's Italian. Yeah. You're Italian. You tell me. Um, it's a Il Cupo Dolore. Il Cupo Dolore. Hey, 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 hey. You said some A's. Uh, Cupo, two Cupo Dolore uh, by Mike Patton off a Perfect Place original motion picture soundtrack which came out in 2008. A Perfect Place is a black-and-white tragic comedy short directed, produced, and written by Derek Scochera. Now, 
I looked everywhere. I couldn't really find like a written up plot summary of the movie at all. <laughs> Though I did like, I found a little trailer yeah, I'd never for heard it. Of it. It, it. It's a short independent film. Hmm. And actually, a little interesting fact, the soundtrack that Mike wrote is actually longer than the film itself <laughs> by about 10 minutes. Wow. And I also had a really hard time. I tried to find like a translation to, because this is all in Italian. Yeah. I, I found a website that was in Italian that tried to base, because like he never wrote down the lyrics. So someone who is Italian tried to listen to him and write down, write and they wrote down what he thought, what they thought he was saying, and then I Google translated into English. So this could be horribly wrong. Yeah. But essentially, he's saying, if there is a void in the pain, the dull pain, and you cannot remember, remember if there's a void in the pain, and when it began, it was never clear. If there's a void in the pain, pain, and because then you keep torment. And why do you not fall away boldly from her? And why because? That sounds like Mike Patton lyrics, Cupo roughly. Uh, roughly. Cupo Dolore roughly translates to the deep pain in mm-hmm. Italian. But you knew that because you're Italian. But of course. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. It, it's kind of straightforward. It's kind of like a really short, simple, sweet, operatic piece yeah. Uh, what did yeah. you think of this track? Yeah, I mean it's be- I mean it shows off his vocal range, no doubt. It's a beautiful, grand, mighty, magnanimous opera. And he can actually fucking do it. He even at first I was like, is he doing the vibrato? I mean, I don't know opera well. I was like, is he doing the vibrato? And then at the end, it's only two minutes. Mm-hmm. It's very short. He hits the vibrato and he does that signature, if you listen really close, that signature kind of mangled, I don't know what to call it, like a mangled brado, like a vibrato, but he mangles it a little bit. With that signature. Mangled brado. Yeah, exactly. That signature Mike Patton. He does a little bit, which I love. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he has a fucking amazing voice, which, again, this so this perfectly shows his range of, of singing in the unintelligible and the intelligible. Yeah. I, like, amazing voice. I wrote down... Who could have known that the creature who spewed out the sounds from the previous track <laughs> yeah. is also capable yeah, of <laughs> fluent Italian operatic music? Yeah, you would never think it. Yeah, you would never think it. It's a, it's a short, simple, and sweet track, but it really just brings home the fact that Patton is an amazing vocal talent. Yeah. Uh, you know, this kind of music's definitely not my cup of tea, but I can't deny it's incredibly well done. Yeah, yeah. Not only did he sing this track, but he also composed the music. Like the music accompaniment, he, wow. he composed it. Wow. The only help he had on the track, from what I gathered, is he brought someone in to do some of the percussion on it. Otherwise, he performed he, all of this himself, wow, too. That's amazing. I, I, I might have read that wrong, but that's kind of what I took from it. It is possibly the most epic thing he's ever written, too. It is genuinely epic, more it, epic than epic. It is a genuine, it's like huge orchestra, you know, symphonic. Yeah. And while I don't think this is the most like incredibly intense operatic performance I've ever heard, right? For someone who spends most of his time screaming his brains out, yeah, it's like fuck. I can't help but be impressed that someone who can make those horrible noises can also sing Italian opera. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, little fact I found out in February of 2006, Patton actually performed an 
like an actual operatic piece composed by someone named Vind Kang at the Teatro Communale di Modena in Italy, like alongside actual opera singers. I think I saw a video of that. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. He actually he said how hard it was for him because you know opera singers don't use microphones. Like he actually like killed his voice trying to project without a microphone. Damn, that night. no microphone. But he did yeah. it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And if any of you listeners who listen to this track dug him singing in Italian, but maybe didn't dig the opera aspects of this track, he has an album called Mondo Kane, which I think I alluded to at the beginning yeah. of this. He put out an album in 2010 that features himself, a 40-member orchestra, and a 15-piece backing band performing a series of cover versions of 1950s and 1960s Italian pop music. Hmm. And it actually peaked at number two in the U.S.'s classical album charts when it was released. It's pretty good. Like It sounds like old classical Italian music, and he's singing it all. It's on Spotify if you guys want to check it out. I'll post it on the website for the post along with this. (laughs) But, yeah, you know... I don't have a ton to say about this track. I pretty much included it just to show you like the heights that he's capable of achieving. Yeah. You have any other thoughts or I mean Mike Patton is a sonic singularity. Just ripping through musical genres and stratospheres, leaving his weird ass mark. That's all I no. <laughs> like I can't pay there's no one way to peg him. Except he's just crazy motherfucker. He's a crazy he's talented crazy. motherfucker. Yeah, very talented. Yeah. So, yeah. favorite track, probably yeah, Carry Stress in the Jaw. It's got to be Carry the Stress in the Jaw. But none are bad. They're all, I mean, every, again, every song he does, even the most popular, are complex. They're more complex mm-hmm. than you would think. Yeah, I'd have to go with Carry Stress in the Jaw also. Second runner up would probably be We're Not Alone. Yeah. Out yeah. of these five. Although maybe my second runner up would be Six Litmus. Litany 4. Litany 4. Because it's just fucking <laughs> crazy. I've never heard anything like that <laughs> yeah. in my life. Well, that will wrap things up for right. this Mike Patton special. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If and thank you, Mike Patton, for thank, listening. Yes. We know you are. Thanks for listening, and thanks for the music, <laughs> too, bro. Yeah. We know you did it for us. You did it for me and Jared. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> My entire career dedicated to Dominic and Jared. Dedicate your next. It seems like a Mike Patton thing. Dedicate your next album to, to our these podcast. Two unknown fuckheads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you dug this episode and would like us to talk about more crazy genius obscure artists, and the you, obscure. You have any recommendations, or if you want to hear that John Zorn episode, let us know. Yeah. Hit us up on our Facebook at facebook.com/shuffle tweet at us at shuffle podcast comment us at tumblr at shufflepodcast.tumblr.com send us an email at shufflecastpod at gmail.com and if you'd like to help support us and you also like to shop on amazon at the same time and not have your prices affected at all go to the page for this episode at www.jrdsctt.com shuffle and at the top there'll be a little bar that says amazon Click on it. That'll take you to our portal. You can shop as normal, and they give us a little kickback for anything you buy for helping support them. It's a win, 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 lose, win, win. And I won't tell you who. Patton, buy a bunch of shit for us. I won't tell you who loses, (laughs) but it's not us, and it's not Mike Patton, and that's all. That's the shuffle guarantee. (laughs) Yeah, that's the shuffle guarantee. All right. Well, Uh, I guess we can wrap this up. 
I guess lately we've been doing this. Uh, Dominic, say something offensive. Uh, do your best Mike Pan litany impersonation. That's pretty good. 